This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleet and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Ali Azar-Bazan, who's the first author of a paper, Cardiovascular Benefit of Continuous Positive Airway Pressure in Adults with Coronary Artery Disease and Obstructive Sleep Apnea Without Daytime Sleepiness, which was recently published in the Blue Journal. We are also joined by Dr. Naomi Shah, who is one of the co-authors of an associated editorial. Dr. Azarbazan is an assistant professor of medicine at Harvard University in Boston, and Dr. Shah is professor of medicine at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York. Naomi, before we discuss the paper, could you briefly describe the results from previous randomized studies which have examined whether CPAP reduces cardiovascular events and improves survivals in patients with obstructive sleep apnea? Sure, John. Thanks so much for having me here. I think that's such an important question to really set the stage, and I'm really glad that you're asking it. So, you know, we now have several randomized control trials that have examined the impact of CPAP therapy on primary and secondary cardiovascular disease prevention in non-sleeping individuals with obstructive sleep apnea. And unfortunately, all of the trials have failed to demonstrate a statistically significant impact of CPAP therapy on reducing major adverse cardiovascular events, such as stroke, myocardial infarction, and cardiovascular death in the intention to treat analyses. Now, if you look at these trials, there is some suggestion of reduction in cardiovascular outcomes if you look at their adherence analysis when CPAP is used for four or more hours per night for both primary and secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease outcomes. However, in the same trial, that signal primarily was seen for stroke outcomes. But again, there's always caution when you're moving away from intention to treat analyses, because there is always concern for confounding and bias that you can't adjust for when you deviate from that primary principle of randomized controlled trials. So thank you. Ali, your paper is based on a secondary analysis of the randomized intervention with CPAP in coronary artery disease and obstructive sleep apnea. RCT. Can you briefly describe this trial and its findings? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, again, thanks for having me here. Uh, so the original trial actually, which was which is known as RICATSA, is a single center perspective randomized control trial that was conducted between 2005 and 2010 in, in Sweden. The PI of the study is Dr. Pecker and the main findings were published in Blue Journal in 2016. So Rikatsa trial included adult patients with uh, a coronary artery disease who had undergone coronary angioplasty or coronary bypass surgery within the six months before the sleep study. And the inclusion criteria were an apnea hypopnea index of 15 or more on a home sleep apnea testing and absence of excessive daytime sleepiness, which was defined by a force sleepiness score of less than 10 at baseline. And all patients actually were, were underwent an overnight PSG recording prior to randomization to CPAP for usual care. In, in the original study, a total of 200 
44 individuals were randomized. And the primary composite endpoint was occurrence of neurovascularization, myocardial infarction, stroke or cardiovascular mortality during the follow-up period, which was about 57 months. And the intention to treat analysis revealed a non-significant hazard ratio of 0.8 comparing CPAP with, with the control. And I think as Naomi mentioned, in the in a post-hoc analysis, CPAP was found to reduce the risk in people who use, who use CPAP uh, uh, long enough during the trial. So now in this uh, new secondary analysis, you examine the impact of pretreatment respiratory event heart rate response on adverse cardiovascular outcomes. Why did you select this variable? Yeah. So let me just give you some background. Sleep apnea is a breathing disorder that is characterized by frequent obstruction, obstruction in, in the upper airway during sleep. So these repeated obstructions are associated with hypercapnia, hypox, uh, hypoxemia, infiltrastic pressure swings, and out-of-phase uh, movement of abdomen and chest. And additionally, opening of the airway is usually associated with an EEG arousal. So previous studies have shown that all these respiratory events-related changes alter heart rate. In our study, heart rate response was considered a metric that actually carries event-related information, which is related to severity of airway obstruction, as well as information on subject-specific response to respiratory stimuli. For example, prior studies have shown that some individuals respond vigorously to any stimulus, such as auditory stimuli, and, and while others don't. And, and the same analogy applies here. So the heart rate response to events in an individual with OSA ranges from very low, close to zero, to more than maybe 30 beats per minute. And for example, an individual with a severe form of heart failure or someone with implanted pacemakers is expected to have no heart rate response. On the other hand, an individual with an elevated heart response could have a more severe form of OSA. For example, they could have longer events more severe hypoxemia or more intense arousal, and, or they could have increased responsiveness to, to respiratory stimuli or a combination of both. So we, we, we had a, a prior study in two observational cohorts, and we demonstrated that both of these phenotypes, both low and high heart rate response, are, were at increased risk of subclinical cardiovascular disease, and as well as long-term CBD mor morbidity and mortality. In this secondary analysis, uh, we hypothesized that the risk associated with high delta heart rate is, is OSA-specific, and, and CPAP may be beneficial in this subgroup because, again, this is the subgroup that is likely to have a severe form of respiratory events and or an exaggerated response to respiratory stimuli. On the other hand, we hypothesized that individuals with low heart rate response may not benefit from CPAP because they may either have a milder form of OSA or a cardiometabolic disease that may not be modifiable by CPAP intervention. Now, how did you measure the pretreatment respiratory event heart rate response? And, and can this be easily obtained? Uh, could I obtain it from a routine polysomnogram or even a home sleep apnea test? Sure, yes. So we first, actually, we determined a subject-specific heart rate average, which was obtained from aligning all heart rate signal with respect to the end of respiratory events. So the concept is actually similar to evoked potential test. 
here the subject is experiencing several respiratory stimuli with different severity, and we measure the average change in heart rate. And the average heart rate signal has distinct behavior. So it usually peaks around the event termination and has two local minima, one before and one after the end of the event. For a typical sleep apnea patient, the heart rate decreases during, during the event until it reaches a minimum, which is usually before the end of the event. And then it starts to rise and usually peaks several seconds after event termination. Resumption of sleep is associated with decrease in heart rate and a post-event minimum. So we use this average signal to design a search window to guide the calculation of heart rate response for each individual apnea and hypopnea. So the definition of heart rate response for each respiratory event was the difference between the maximum heart rate during this search window and a minimum heart rate during the respiratory event. And we took the mean value across all events to, to provide the subject level heart rate response. So in, in our studies, because we wanted to be able to calculate heart rate response from both PSG and home sleep test, we used the pulse signal instead of EKG-derived heart rate. And our unpublished validation analysis showed that these, these two signals actually are well correlated. So in summary, in order to calculate heart rate response, we need scored respiratory events, a heart rate signal, and if only EKG is available, we need additional smoothing. And so we're working on ways to be able to calculate heart rate response from only uh, oximetry when, when you have only oximetry, pulse oximetry available. Thank you, that's very clear. Now, what were the primary findings of, uh, of the secondary analysis? Yes, yeah, so at a total of I think 226 individuals were available for this secondary analysis. And we found significant interactions between treatment and heart rate response to events. So patients with higher delta heart rate or heart rate response, if untreated, they were at increased risk for CVD. So it was 55% increased risk per one a standard deviation increase in heart rate response to those who were untreated. And those with higher delta heart rate had a greater cardiovascular benefit from CPAP than those with a lower heart rate response. For example, this is the point estimate that we had uh, at an elevated heart rate response of about maybe 10 beats per minute. Uh, the calculated CPAP-related risk reduction was about 59%, in contrast to non-significant small effect at average delta heart rate, which was similar to the original Ricazza trial, about 16% risk reduction, which was not significant. Now, did controlling for beta blockers or CPAP adherence influence your findings? Sure. We actually, we did conduct several sensitivity analysis. We controlled for beta blocker use and the results were similar. Indeed, I think about 90% of patients in this trial were on beta blockers at baseline visit. And what we have seen in our prior analysis is that beta blocker use usually slightly lowers the heart rate response and that could mean we may have a slightly lower threshold for those on beta blocker than than those with, without. Regarding CPAP adherence, we did secondary analysis by categorizing patients into three subgroups. So group one, which were the usual care group, and then group two were those who use CPAP but less than four hours a night, and then group three were those who use CPAP but more than four hours. 
in the overall sample without considering the heart rate response, a non-significant lower hazard ratio was observed in CPAP adherent subgroup. In those with higher heart rate response, the hazard ratio point estimate was even lower, uh, again, but not significant in the CPAP adherent uh, group. So I think ultimately, because this, this is a small sample, we need these, these findings needs to be verified in a larger sample. Yeah, because I think we were likely underpowered to reliably est estimate the effect of CPAP use in individual with high heart rate response. We also performed some additional analysis. For example, we found stronger effects when heart rate response was adjusted for or normalized by event severity measure, including the desaturation severity, event duration, or arousal intensity. And, and, and additional sensitivity analysis was excluding individuals with chronic atrial fibrillation, which didn't influence our, our finding. Now, Naomi, you looked at this study in some detail. What did you think the major strengths and limitations were? So, yeah, I just want to first congratulate Ali and his team for this really beautiful work. You know, I think a major strength of this study, to be quite blunt, is that it really acknowledges the possibility that obstructive sleep apnea treatment in all patients with underlying coronary artery disease may not be necessary, and that there is heterogeneity of treatment effect with CPAP therapy. I can't tell you that a decade ago, um, when we first published our study that suggested a cardioprotective role of obstructive sleep apnea in patients with acute myocardial infarction, I don't think the field was ready for that. And, and rightfully so, because we had overwhelming observational data that suggested that sleep apnea is just all bad. And I think this study really highlights that we need to be more selective of who may benefit from CPAP therapy. So I really want to applaud their, their work and their you know, consideration for this possible heterogeneity of not only the disease state itself, but also the effect of CPAP therapy. Another major strength of the study is that the interaction analysis, as we pointed out in the editorial, in their Cox regression approach, uses a pretreatment delta heart rate, which overcomes the healthy user bias that has affected previously published subgroup analysis that focused on post hoc factors like CPAP adherence. I think here Ali and his team beautifully identify a baseline characteristic that assess, that's assessed before treatment, which is delta heart rate, which was obtained in all treated and untreated patients to estimate, to estimate its interaction with treatment arm which is CPAP or no CPAP on cardiovascular outcomes. And I think that is very innovative. Limitations of this work, I think, are acknowledged in the paper and include the small sample size of Rakatsa, which I think, you know, is an important starting point. But I think another one that I, I would really urge our field to consider is really try external validation, especially using real-world databases. You know, we have electronic health records, and this information potentially can be readily available. So I'd like to see some of this validated in our actual patients. It also does not have adequate representation of women and underrepresented minority groups. And as a woman of color, that's always something I'm looking for, who does have a degree of obstructive sleep apnea, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, so it would be nice to see some of these studies include people like myself. And another limitation is widespread use of beta blockers in these patients. I believe that overwhelming majority of these patients, because of their underlying coronary disease, were on beta blockers, which also inhibits some of the mechanistic exploration, for example, autonomic nervous system response to CPAP therapy. So I think those were some minor limitations of this really otherwise applaudable and extraordinary work by Ali and his team. Thank you. So going back to the variable that they looked at, why do you think 
the respiratory event heart rate response is important and associated with increased risk of cardiovascular morbidity and mortality in patients with obstructive sleep apnea? Yeah, you know, this is a really good question. And I I thought a lot about this variable when I was working on the editorial with Sushmita Kamidi. And the, the best analogy I can give you is that, you know, a marked heart rate increase in the onset of standardized exercise stress test is a novel, relatively novel and easily available parameter that could be clinically useful as an independent predictor of adverse cardiac events, including death among patients with documented coronary artery disease. So if you think of obstructive sleep apnea as a stressor like exercise, then I don't think it is a surprise that an abnormally elevated heart rate response can be similarly predictive of adverse cardiovascular outcomes. So that's sort of how I, how I see it. And that's how I sort of interpret why these individuals had an adverse response in, in the setting of pretreatment respiratory event heart rate response that was exaggerated. And what do you make of the finding that there may be some harm associated with CPAP in patients with a low pretreatment respiratory event heart rate response? So I think that in this study, those who had a poor heart rate response to events were likely those individuals with underlying chronotropic incompetence or the you know somewhat equivalent of that condition, which potentially was exacerbated by the use of beta blockers and CPAP, which further enhances vagal tone. So again, using the analogy for exercise, heart rate during exercise is regulated by a reduction of vagal activity and increase in sympathetic outflow and by the relative sensitivity of the sinoatrial node to catecholamines. This interplay can be affected in patients with cardiovascular disease. And I think that if you use the analogy again of exercises, I couldn't think of a better analogy of stressing the heart with intermittent hypoxemia and, and other related downstream effects of obstructive sleep apnea, I think the heart rate response really tells you about the overall cardiovascular health of an individual, whether it's to exercise or whether it's to obstructive sleep apnea. And so I think, again, a lower pretreatment respiratory event rate, heart rate response may indicate some degree of underlying poor cardiovascular health and maybe chronotropic incompetence which was worsened by the use of a combination of beta blockers and CPAP, which both can further reduce that heart rate response. So Ali, just following up on that, is there a respiratory event heart rate response cutoff for which CPAP would be most beneficial or harmful? Yes, yeah, so we did exploratory analysis in this secondary analysis of Fricazza trial. We actually, we, we defined two subgroups based on a baseline heart rate response above or below six beats per minute. And, and while there was no significant effect of CPAP in all comers that we, we discussed, in those with uh, delta heart rate greater than six beats per minute, there was a significant and large effect of CPAP. So it's worth noting that in those with a low delta heart rate, as you mentioned, there was a non-significant suggestion of harm, possible harm from CPAP. But Despite these findings, we need to definitely we need to conduct additional analysis in larger samples to establish an optimized threshold for increases across different subgroups. And this research is actually ongoing right now. So Naomi, where do we go from here? How should the findings from this study influence future clinical trials to assess the effectiveness of CPAP in patients with obstructive sleep apnea? Yeah, so John, I think that that question maybe, I mean, I would probably think that we should 
stay away from the word clinical trials in this space at this point. You know, I don't think these findings really can be applied to clinical trials just yet. I believe that we need more mechanistic studies that aim to assess the cardiorespiratory and autonomic response to CPAP therapy. I think working with exercise physiologists, cardiologists, electrophysiologists really is important to fully understand the signals that we're seeing in this study, which is really novel and innovative. But I think we need to better understand the overall cardiovascular health, the effect of medications like CPAP and, um, excuse me, effect of medications like beta blockers and CPAP therapy on the heart rate response, which, which is where I think exercise physiologists may be able to help us a little bit. And then, of course, we need to validate these in real-world settings, you know, to some degree, if we can, before we consider bringing this to sort of future clinical trials. So that's sort of my my take on where we currently stand with this. So any final comments? Um, Ali, starting with you. Sure. I agree with uh, Naomi about future direction, but we need to replicate our finding in, in the available RCDs. And uh, we are actually working with several groups to access the data and uh, repeat the analysis. And uh, yes, again, we need we, we need to do additional mechanistic studies to better understand the heart rate response and how it affects cardiovascular health. And ultimately, after we do all this, we, we would like to be able to prospectively design an RCT in a high heart rate response group to, to be able to provide RCT-level evidence for OSA treatment in terms of CVD risk reduction. And the, the final thought, I would like to thank Dr. Pecker and Dr. Zinchak for making this data available and analyzable. Also thank the team at Brigham who worked with me and the reviewers uh, for improving the quality of the paper. Uh, yeah. Naomi, any comments? Yeah, I echo a lot of what Ali just said. I, I do agree that, you know, the RCATSA trial investigators are really superb and, and make their data quite readily available, which helps do some of these really cool studies. So I applaud their efforts and also congratulate Ali and his team for this really amazing work. I, I do I do worry that, you know, again, I'm not sure I fully understand you know, what the underlying cardiovascular health of these individuals was and what their autonomic system looks like, which, you know, apparently can be affected significantly by a lot of the medications that they're on. And also the effect of CPAP remains quite unknown to me. So again, I would urge, you know, the field to take a pause, really understand what it is that we're seeing here, because it's not entirely clear to me. And, and dig deeper and design more mechanistic studies using a team science approach and really venturing out with good collaborators that are outside our field, which Ali and his team are obviously doing at a place such as Harvard. So I, I really look forward to what comes out of this group next, but I think this is a really good start. And again, I want to thank you, John, for highlighting this uh, article and for inviting me. Well, I'd like to thank you both, uh, Dr. Azarbazen and, and Dr. Shah very much for this interesting discussion. The listener to read the article discussed in, in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. And you can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. So thank you for listening today. Thanks. Thanks.